everybody you're tuning in on uh twitter and social media because we up on twitter trying to share this one out let me know this is uh this is going up out there gotta let the people see what's happening up here by the way gotta congratulate you all my kids out in tennessee they already graduated before memorial day we get out early we start early we start at like the beginning of august but like over in massachusetts for example my niece and nephew don olivia they just graduated a little cowbell for you guys all the other graduates out there but i gotta ask you did you have as cool a pickup as Alex Nino's kid did? Let's take a look. Today, I decided to pick up my son from his last day of school inside my semi-truck. I've took him to school before, and ever since then, he's been asking me to pick him up. So what better day than his last day? And I also made sure that as soon as he came inside the truck, he had his favorite on the TV, which is Faze Rug. So let's pick him up, and let's see his reaction. Daddy, to be in the truck? Oh, no way! Knuckles, buddy. I love you. Excellent. Love to see it. Love to see it. And look, because he's like a famous TikToker, he's even getting autographs. We used to like complain and say, hey, like movies have to make the next trucking heroes. But clearly social media can do that just fine. Some yearbooks and everything like that. We got a big show today. We got uh, Rachel Premack, the returning Rachel Premack. She hasn't been by in a few weeks, but she's back. We're going to talk about the drama that's going on over in Yellow. They say they're almost out of cash. they got a big fight going on with the Teamsters. She's going to unwind it for us. And also, also a carrier went out of business today. Intermodal carrier. We'll get into it. She'll tell us all about what happened there. Remcota CEO Remy Garson, he's doubled down on nearshoring, right? We've heard so much about it. But how much progress is being made and how is that changing a shipper's supply chain? He'll get into it deeply. We hear so much about AI hype and the buzzwords behind it. we got Optum's Chris Torrance and Danny Zienberg here today. They're going to tell us if the hype is worth even worrying about and why people still matter in freight. And then Justin Martin will be back to talk about the latest in the I-95 collapse. We have some updates on that for you, one of them very sad. Um, where We did a big poll. Do drivers prefer check calls over tracking? We'll get into that. Uh, new headline meme. We got lunatic lift drivers. Why the 80s hit different. What's ahead at the future supply chain in Cleveland? And a whole bunch more. But Rachel Premack is here right now. So let's bring her up. Rachel, what's happening? Long time no see. I know it's been a long time. I think it's been about a month since I've been on the show. Oh, you've been busy with, with mode. Now I'm back. You've been busy mode and all that kind of stuff. Well, some big news has happened since you've been here. The first of which we just learned about maybe an hour ago from the Kansas City Business Journal, and that is that temperature-controlled intermodal provider Tiger Cool Express has closed its doors. Rachel, what happened there? Yeah, so we don't have all the details yet they uh it appears that they closed on tuesday this is reporting from the kansas city business journal as you mentioned as well as the journal of commerce uh they've been in business for just under a decade and it looks like their private equity group that that supported them pulled their funding this week the company closed yesterday and now their employees which total around 50 to 60 are out of work right now Wow. And I'm sure there's a lot of good people on there, but I would be remiss to not mention that there was at least one person in leadership there that was uh, usually pretty 
against what we had been saying about the market over at FreightWave. So, I mean, maybe it, it's great to make a great contention online on LinkedIn, but before you do, check your books. You know, make, we don't want to see anyone go out of business. This, we're all connected in the supply chain. When the market is bad, it doesn't help us over here at FreightWaves in any measurable way whatsoever. So we don't like seeing these things happen. That's not why we, we put these reports out, Rachel. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've been seeing plenty of, of freight companies, especially on the trucking side, see their business being shut down or just otherwise affected due to this downturn in rates. And I think it will definitely affect rail companies in particular, intermodal companies in particular, because many of those uh, companies may prefer to just stick with trucking because those rates are going to be uh, competitive with rail uh, type of rates. So it is definitely something that we are we're tracking here, and we don't think that uh, Tiger Cool Express will be the last bankruptcy we're going to be seeing uh, in the coming months. Yeah. Well, if you have jobs out there, you're looking for some intermodal temperature control experts out there. They got some employees on the market, so keep a keen eye open for them. Now, yellow, big, big topic. But before we even get into it, we got to address the elephant in the room. Why is yellow called, like, why are their trucks yellow if their name, why are their trucks orange if their name is yellow, Rachel? We were talking about this this morning. Uh, it was originally called Yellow because back in the 20s when Yellow was established, they were also uh, associated with a taxi company and taxi. I didn't know. I, did you, I didn't, Rachel, I didn't know that before. I, did, I had no idea that part of their lineage extended all back to the Yellow Taxi Company. Yeah, it's really interesting looking at the history of those trucking companies that started in the 10s and 20s and 30s because they're they're really all over the place. They're, you know, yeah, I mean, some of them are, are associated with taxi companies, apparently. Uh, but the the trucks are white with an orange logo on it because yellow is not really that bright and visible from the road. This is something that they've had for, for decades that they have, you know, obviously the yellow brand name, but then they have the orange signage. And that makes sense. I mean, orange is definitely... As a motorist, I'm going to pick up on orange way more than, you know, a light sunflower colored yellow for sure. So it, it, it's a good safety move, I'd say. And it definitely makes their brand name a bit more noticeable. Yeah, apparently they collaborated with DuPont on this back in like the 1940s <laughs> when they wanted this orange color. And it has a name, Swamp Holly Orange, in case you were curious. That is, I, a lot of people call it like a hunter yeah, orange, but it's Swamp Holly Orange. Not my favorite title. I don't know what Swamp Holly is. Yeah. If there's anyone, any viewers who can enlighten us, um, let us know what the hell Swamp Holly is. Well, Rachel, this is a company that, as long as I've been you know, reporting here at Freightways doing this show, they've had a lot of trouble. It used to be called YRC. There was a big bailout in 2020, and I remember the New York, the New York Times uh Said it was perplexing, right? It said the Department of Defense offered a few details to a congressional oversight offered few details to a congressional oversight committee about why a struggling trucking company, YRC Worldwide, was determined to be critical to national security. A designation that allowed it to receive seven hundred million dollars stimulus loan. Um, they lost more than hundred million dollars in twenty nineteen, the year before they got this loan. They switched their name to Yellow, and now they're telling Teamsters they're going to run out of money in August. Yeah, so Yellow has been struggling for the past several decades. Uh, they actually also had another close brush with bankruptcy in 2009. They managed to you know, strike this 11th hour deal to 
convert some of their debt to equity for uh, bondholders who had who were uh, you know had had some sort of stake in the company. Uh, and it's funny because I was reading this Teamsters press release on Yellow from 2009. And they referred to Yellow as, you know, the cat with nine lives. They evaded bankruptcy again. And that was, what, 14 years ago? And we're still kind of having the same conversation of how is this trucking company still around when they've managed to, you know, they have $1.5 billion in debt. They have been in an incredible amount of debt for many years now. Um, Their operating ratio in Q1 was, uh, I I believe, 100.8%. Uh, so they're, you know, burning more cash in their operations than they are producing revenue. Uh, it's certainly a, a troubled company. I will, I'll put it that way. What is their one yellow plan? Because it seems like it's causing a lot of trouble. In Todd Maiden's article, it said Yellow One is consolidating all of its LTL brands and closing duplicate terminals. However, the latest phase of operational changes has been rejected by its union workforce. Yeah, so they've been trying to push this one yellow consolidation effort for the last few years. Uh, it's from you know the, the LTL experts I've spoken to for this piece and from reading Todd Main's coverage as well. They kind of have a patchwork of different regional carriers. They've got New Penn in the Northeast, Redway in the West, Holland in the Midwest, and then, of course, YRC Freight, which is um, started in the southeast, but or uh, the southwest rather, but is more of a uh, national LTL carrier and a long haul carrier. So they're trying to, you know, which makes a lot of sense. They're trying to close these duplicate and redundant terminals. The problem is that uh, Yellow is a is a Teamsters company. They've got about twenty thousand uh, Teamsters uh, drivers who who work at Yellow, and the Teamsters union is pushing against these uh, terminal closers because they correctly believe that this would lead to the loss of Teamsters jobs. Interesting. Well, I hear one of the key sticking points, right, is that the Teamsters, so if correct me if I understand this, is Yellow almost being like the railroad? They want you to work at whatever dock they assign to you, regardless of where you're located, and the drivers say, no, if we even do consider this, we want it to be at our home terminals? I'm not sure if it's necessarily a, oh, we're going to tell you go here, go there, because in the in most of these uh, working contracts that the uh, these drivers have, they're not actually allowed to be away from home for more than 24 to 48 hours. It's, you know, it differs. It differs based on where you're based and what kind of equipment you run, what kind of route you're on. But, it you know, many sleeper, many yellow trucks are, are day cabs. So by default, they're not going to be away from home for too long. Although, you know, many of them end up you know, staying in a hotel if they are away for a long period. The 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 um, issue on the Teamster side is that they have found that a lot of, through the one yellow consolidation plan, many of those drivers will be doing more dock work instead of just, you know, coming with their truck, unloading, having, having uh, dock workers uh, unload or reload. Uh, it seems like a lot of their jobs uh, description would change. And I also spoke to one yellow truck driver based in the Northeast who said that uh, with this new consolidation plan, he would see his hourly pay actually go down as a result. So it seems like the issue is they these drivers would have 
more work, but a lower compensation. And but then on the other hand, you know, if if Yellow is saying, okay, if Teamsters doesn't ap- approve these consolidation efforts, we might not exist by August. We're going to run out of money by August. So the question is, are we taking Yellow at face value? Do we really think that the company is going to cease to exist? Should we risk having no job instead of a somewhat crappier job than we have right now? It's definitely it's an it's an interesting kind of debate that's playing out right now. Are they going to cease to exist? That's what that's what management is telling these these teamsters. This is a company that's been bailed out before. Would the government bail them out yeah. again? Are they considered a like Department of Defense national security concern still? I can't imagine the government would bail them out again. I also can't imagine perhaps their bondholders will, you know, swoop in and and save them yet again as they did in 2009. Um but I could also see, you know, their their uh, stockholders saying, "Okay, we've this is this has gone on for so long. Clearly, they can't get it together." Uh, but it would be a massive loss for the trucking industry because, according to at least one article I read in uh, the Logistic Management uh, Journal, that uh, they they have about ten percent of all LTL business right now. So if they were to Dissolve. It would not only mean the end of this, you know, century-old company, but it would certainly leave a lot of, you know, roots up for grab. Interesting. 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 Hmm. What are this? Yeah. Will this? Is this the culling that we need? Is this the what the freight market needs uh, for YRC to go out of or Yellow to go out of business? So uh, these rates go back up. Um. I mean, depending on what side you're, I, I, I mean, I imagine if you're another LTL carrier, maybe you'd be happy to see uh, yellow dissolve. It's, it, it would certainly be a massive reshuffling in the LTL industry because this is one of the last unionized carriers in LTL. They employ 20,000 uh, unionized truck drivers. Um, it would certainly shift a lot of business uh, to the non-union LTL market, which is has rapidly, you know, gained share in the last few decades. So it would be a massive shift in the industry that would have, you know, short-term effects on rates, as you mentioned, but also uh, long-term effects in terms of how uh, work is is allocated among labor or union versus non-union companies. Interesting. Well, hey, thank you for getting us up to date. Now, what's ahead on Moe's? What's coming up on the uh, in the show and in the newsletter? Exactly what we've been talking about right okay. now. My article tomorrow will be about will be about yellow. Uh, Todd Maiden, our uh, colleague at Freewaves, has done a lot of really great reporting on what's been happening with that whole yellow versus Teamsters debacle. But I'm writing this piece for those who know very little about LTL, um, which would include myself because I don't write too often about LTL. So if you need a Another sort of catch up on what's going on in yellow. Definitely check your inbox tomorrow, um, and and yeah, that's that's what uh, I'll I'll have ready for for subscribers this week. Well, very cool. Hey, Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Take it easy. All right, everybody. Meanwhile, oh, oh my god, oh, oh. Oh! <laughs>
People don't know this, but in Tennessee, some of these storms come out of nowhere. People are like, why were they standing by that door? They can just they can just flare up out of nowhere, man. You know what can come out of nowhere? Remy Garson, you never even know what country he's in. CEO at Remcoda. If I understand correctly, he might be like in Rome, Italy, something like that. Remy, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing? Are, is that true? Are you in Italy today? Well, you know, I don't even know where I am anymore. Um, uh, I've been in so many different time zones in the last few days. So I'm, uh, at this point, um, uh, I'm just happy to be on the show. <laughs> Interesting. Well, what's <laughs> got you, going? what's got you so global? Why are you moving around everywhere? So, um, our company, uh, Remcoda is a global supply chain platform. Um, we work with imports across four different co- continents and, uh, about 15 different countries. So, um, we're just constantly on the go and, trying to always look around corners. Um, recently, I moved down to Colombia, oh. um, living in a uh, city called Barranquilla, um, which is made famous because it's the uh, place where the actress Sofia Vergara was born and raised. Um, but we have uh, opened up a uh, bag factory in uh, Colombia for the importation of paper bags to the United States. So that's got me stationed there for at least the next couple of years. How, how long have you been in Colombia now? Um, well, I moved in at the start of the year, but I've been pretty back and forth. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, uh, we just, uh, signed, um, to take over a controlling stake of a factory called DTAR, uh, bag factory. And that, uh, happened about two weeks ago. So I'm hoping that I'll be there, uh, much more and, and stable. I also just had a son, so Ooh. I'm trying to, uh, uh, be present in his life and not be living mostly on airplanes. You know, for as long as I've known Lean Staffing Solutions, and that's been since like 2019, every time they come on, they try and sell me on Colombia being like the Silicon Valley of Latin America. Would you co-sign on that? Is, is, it, is, it, is it really building up like that out there? You know, that, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. So um, Medellin, Colombia in particular, has become very much a tech hub in Latin America. It's got a really young, really smart, very tech-savvy, English-speaking um, population. And, um, there's been this big shift, I think in the United States of offshoring a lot of workforces. And it's a lot of that, um, focus has gone to the Philippines, but, um, but what we're seeing more recently is that, uh, when you work with Colombia, you get a, um, a, a, a person that's working on your time zone who you can actually go and visit and, more easily have them come and visit you in the United States. And so there's this, there's this shift towards working with Columbia. And, um, even before we took over this bag factory, we started, um, working with a lot of, uh, Colombians in our organization. They're great at logistics. They're great for graphic design. Um, and, uh, and they're very tech savvy and tech focused. Very, very cool. Well, so it's not just a headline then, right? People really are starting to, to nearshore. We saw it like, yeah, nearshoring is going to happen. But then like, I always want to wait to hear from people that are actually doing it. Tell me about your nearshoring strategy and how does Columbia fit into it? Because I was reading, one thing I found interesting, I was reading one of your LinkedIn posts and you said that you had an article in Forbes. And in that article, you said, you know, a big strategy of what Remcoda and what we're doing over at the larger parent company is um, creating at least duplicates, right? So in China, you have one manufacturing line, but you're really trying to move it to a reshoring situation where you have a duplicate line in another part of the country, Columbia perhaps. Yeah. Okay. So um, we'll take it a, st- a quick step back. So 
Uh, Remcoda is a global supply chain platform. And so um, companies use us for whatever their product solutions may be um, and whatever their product needs may be. So um, we work uh, traditionally with Asia as Asia has been the primary source of manufacturing and sourcing to the United States for about three decades now. And um, and what's great about Asia is they're extremely efficient. There's a lot of infrastructure there and the cost of products are really low. And that's driven a lot by the fact that um, labor costs costs are really low um, out of Asia, and that their economies have effectively been built to support a manufacturing industry that exports to the United States and, and, and to many other countries in the West. Um, and that has been super reliable um, for decades, and that's why it was the standard. But then in 2016, around the Trump era, we really saw um, some challenges and some chinks in the armor, if you will. Um, it started with the trade wars, um, just the understanding by the politicians in Washington that exporting our manufacturing so exclusively to one country or one region of the world po- posed some um, political, geopolitical risks. Um, it also started to erode or really has eroded our own manufacturing capabilities in this country. And so, um, Again, politicians in D.C. taking defensive measures, and it's 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 very popular politically to kind of bang the drum and say we're going to start putting on tariffs. Um, we started to implement tariffs on lots of Chinese uh, and Asian-made goods, and so that was the first um, struggle that started to lead to a, a gradual process of decoupling our economy uh, and our and our manufacturing dependency on uh, China and and on Asia as a whole. Then um, you saw COVID. So COVID, a pandemic, was a massive disruption to the supply chain, um, and it created just countless numbers of uh, supply chain struggles um, across all different sectors in the U.S. economy. Um, And then container prices went through the roof out of Asia, and availability of containers were impossible. And then following that was was the famous supply chain crisis, um, during the beginning of the Biden administration. So all of those macro um, events uh, basically led to the realization that um, if the United, if U.S. companies depend on just one area um, of the world for their imports, they're leaving themselves uh, very vulnerable. Um, and so during those crises, we were very aggressive about s- setting up our um, operations in Latin America. So Latin America has a lot of the advantages that you see out of Asia, cheap labor forces, um, availability of raw materials. But one bigger advantage is uh, shorter lead times on the water, less uh, shorter transit times. Um, and so there are some advantages there. There's, a, there's many disadvantages. Prices still are not as competitive in Latin America, generally speaking, as they are in Asia. Um, and uh, there's just not the same level of efficiencies and understanding of the U.S. market. Um, so there's, I would yeah. say Latin America still has a lot of developing to do. Yeah, Remy, just I know, a, the- I, know a, uh, I know a stuffed animal manufacturer, just to what you're saying here, he's, he's trying to move, at least do some, uh, some dual production down in Latin America, but one of the issues he has is with the stuffed animals is just the, the quality, the raw materials that time. And as you mentioned there, the, well, not and the, the pricing and then another issue too is capacity, right? Like the turnaround times just are not the same at the, at some of the factors that he knows. And it's just not as easy to establish in some of these manufacturing areas like he, he's already done in China. I'm sure this can be learned though. Well, there's a reason for that. And the reason the, the capacity issue is because these Latin American countries have not traditionally 
build their uh, sectors for exporting to the United States. Those sectors are really designed to support their local uh, populations. And so when you then all of a sudden throw the demand of the largest uh, import economy in the world on top of the demand that they have in just servicing their local communities, um, it becomes overbearing and, and, and difficult for the factory to maintain. And so uh, that's why it's going to take some time. Uh, but what we've tried to do to make sure that our customers are always supported is that every single item that we manufacture in Asia, we make sure to have dual sourced in Latin America somewhere, um, or at least in another part of the world other than Asia. Um, and that has created redundancy. And um, when there are disruptions, it gives us an advantage, an opportunity to step in and, and help um, customers in our markets get their goods. And we've won a lot of business away from incumbents that you would think would never have lost accounts. We've been able to pick up accounts that way. So it's, 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 it's a mandate for us. And so the reason we moved down to Columbia with our bag factory is um, there's legislation in Washington right now um, where U.S. paper bag manufacturers are lobbying Congress to uh, impose tariffs on uh, Asian imports of bags. And, um, and we saw that coming. We think that that's likely to happen. And so we aggressively moved into Latin America to establish this bag factory. And we think it's going to give us a, a pretty big advantage uh, once those tariffs come into play. Interesting. And it's, it's, is it just, it's not just Chinese companies investing over in Latin America, is it though? Cause like, I remember when this, when this was talked about in like Africa and stuff and it was like, okay, but then it was just Chinese who like opened up all these factories anyway. And you got entire districts and areas in uh, Africa that speak Chinese because the factories are who yeah. developed there and put them on loan and all that stuff. Is that, is the can kicking happening in, in Latin America too? Yeah, so the Chinese move, are, are very aggressively moving into development countries. It's, it's part it's part of a huge initiative of theirs. Um, it's called Belt and Road. I, I forget exactly the name of it, but um, essentially they are making uh, significant investments inside developing countries so that they're ingrained in those societies, in those governments, and they have massive influences. The Chinese, let's remember, they've been here for thousands of years, <laughs> longer than we've been here for, and and they certainly understand the long game. Um, so that's why you see them. Uh, very influential in um, in Africa and also in Latin America, um, and uh, and so the Chinese understand that they want to be near the market. The market being uh, the United States, um, as as well as North and South America, but primarily the United States. So they're establishing uh, Chinese manufacturing companies that either in Latin America or they're going in like we have into these developing countries and they're purchasing factories. Um, and uh, and then using those as launching points to service the markets in the America. So you're seeing a really big um, movement of Chinese companies into Latin America. Uh, if you look at Monterey, Mexico, which is a border town with the United States um, just below Texas, uh, you'll see we've uh, Elon Musk has a Tesla factory there. Um, there's a lot of manufacturing um, investments that are being made in Monterey, and the Chinese represent more than half of um, of those dollars. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, before I let you go, one prediction. Let's say this trend continues, this nearshoring trend, especially in Latin America to the U.S. How do you see it changing freight? Changing freight? Mm -hmm. um, well, okay. So um, it, it, there's a, there, the interesting thing about Latin America is you have um, the ability to, to truck into the United States. So uh, you can't. You certainly can't do that from from Asia or from Europe. Um, so, uh, you're, you're going to see a lot more trucking routes established, um, between, um, Mexico and the United States. Um, and then you're going to see more action at the ports. 
Um, there's uh, uh, ports on the West Coast and on the East Coast um, that get serviced by Latin American countries. Um, so I think you'll just you'll probably just see an increase in activity and increase in freight rates um, as a supply and demand reaction. Excellent. Well, hey, Remy, how do people connect with you? How do they learn more about Remcoda? Oh, you can you can uh, check us out at um, remcoda.com um, or you can follow me on Twitter at Garson, uh, G-A-R-S-O-N, Remy, R-E-M-Y. Thank you so much. For thank you for having me. Thank you so much for stopping by. I appreciate it, man. Enjoy Italy. Appreciate your time. Take care. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Man, he's all over the place, man. Jet set, jet set lifestyle. All right, everybody, elsewhere. Let's take a look. So this is in uh, this is in Hong Kong, right? These people are eating at a restaurant, and there's a big storm blowing through. So for some reason, they decide that, that maybe their body weight will be able to keep this roof from flying away. And as you can see, that didn't work. And can we loop this a couple times? Because now when you're watching this, I want you to pay attention to the other side of the room. You see this yellow girl here. But watch the two people holding on on the other end of that room. One guy gets lifted up about 15 feet. He looks like Jeff Hardy doing a swanton bomb onto a table. And the guy in the gray shirt, he goes somewhere over the rainbow. In fact, I had to look into this because everyone online is like, "Where is that guy still in the air? Where did he land? Well, it says right here, pictures are circulating online show a man in a gray shirt landing on the roof. I guess he, he held onto the roof. The roof folded back and he landed onto the roof. But listen to how much of a trooper this guy is. When he got up there, he found a hole in the roof and he climbed back down through the hole and he sat down. And he went right back to his game of Mahong that he was playing with other patrons. It's just like you can tell this is in America. He didn't go like demand to speak to the manager or something like that. This guy was just like right back into his game and it has a happy ending because you had to go through this storm. It says the manager of the store decided to give everyone their meal for free. <laughs> Well, thank you. Anything that happens well. Let's talk to Chris Torrance, Chief Strategy Officer, and Danny Zienberg, the Senior Project Manager over at Optum. Uh, how are you guys doing? And have you ever uh, ended up on a tent in the sky before? Wow, man. Uh, I don't what's know up, that dude? I can... Yeah. <laughs> Chris, I could see you up there, man, at like Manifest flying across Vegas or something. You were there. That's the last time I saw you. I think in, uh, I don't know, out on the a patio area out for the uh, the Manifest Vegas show. Dinner, That's how so. I got home to Chattanooga. I just <laughs> I just held up really tight, man. <laughs> I, Lovely. By the way, I saw you on LinkedIn. You posted that you were at Blues Traveler at some conference, and it got me curious. What? And I'm going to ask this to both of you guys. What is the best live show you've seen at a logistics event? Oh. Man, that's a good one, Dooner. Uh, you know, I, I'm a product of the, you know, born in the 70s, really product of the 80s and 90s, probably similar in age to you. So to be honest, Blues Traveler was pretty good. I think I saw that was uh, that was the truckload, the TCA event. Um, yep. was the, I'm trying, I go to so many of these things, I forget, man. They kind um, of blend together, yeah, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hardcore Blues Traveler, man. John Clapper, oh, wow. right? Danny, yeah. you co-signed that? Was Were you at that one? You know, I was I was there, and that was really an epic show. Uh, it looked very different from the Blues Traveler I remember when I was younger, uh, but still had the same energy. Uh, I for a, for a logistics event, I got to put that up at the top too. But I will say, I have a throwback to a business conference I went to about a decade ago, and Grandmaster Flash uh, was the yeah. lead performer, and that was pretty epic. It would be hard, yeah, hard hard to beat that one. Hard to beat that one. Let, yeah. let me ask you guys. So, Optim has been around for. A while, even though you guys like talk about AI and stuff like that, you have like over decades experience, especially on your team. Who wants to tell me what Optim is? Oh, I'd love to. Um, and happy Flag Day, by the way, Tim. Oh, yeah. I, I I know you got you're all over the board here, but we're we're representing. Uh, we move America over here because sure, it's it's really 
for us, logistics is is the basis of how base everything in America operates, right? If if you can't get from point A to point B on your last segment, you're, we were covering basically the the shortfalls in capacity that we've gone through recently. And honestly, Optum started as basically a, a custom solution company. You would we would we would get a problem, we would solve the problem for you. Anything across the logistic and analytics space. But it started, it's bootstrapped by one family, one man, professor, uh, MIT, moved on to uh, University of Florida. And what we started is just solving logistics solutions in like the rail space. And if you think trucking logistics is hard, imagine only being allowed to have one truck on one road at a time. Wow. We moved, we expanded from there into uh, less than truckload markets and then into airlines and airlines skyrocketed. That part... Obviously, the logistics of connecting flights across the countries between hubs, pilots, and everything is a huge, huge issue. That skyrocketed. And then we refocused a lot of that business that it generated into the LTL market and now our entry into the truckload market. Interesting. But honestly, yeah, uh, just real quick, artificial intelligence is a huge buzzword. I mean, you'll see it if if you try to search it right now. I I don't even know how many millions of search hits you'll get. But really at the core of it, there's nothing artificial about our intelligence. The, our, our founder literally wrote the book on network optimization. And what we're really trying to do is make computer-assisted decisions. We're not trying to tell people what to do. It's not a black box that you put a bunch of information into and it spits out a result. You don't know if it's right or wrong. I mean, imagine like the chat GPTs of the world. Mm. If they tell you something and it's completely wrong, what are you going to do about it? Like you have to go validate it again yourself. Oh, I, shake you it. I shake my exactly. fist. I shake my fist at it. I, and I make posts online saying that it's not good. Chris, because that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, we talk about AI in this year. It's it's kind of been good and bad. It's been good that AI has gotten some hype, but it's also been like really annoying because for like three months there, there would be people who would just like post the results of something that they asked ChatGPT. Like that was the content yeah. on LinkedIn for three months straight. It would be like taking a screenshot of something you Googled. It was, it was getting on my nerves. How can AI help trucking? Yeah, I mean, I think Danny makes a good point. I mean, there, you know, I've, I've had the, the pleasure and the fortune of working at some pretty cool companies that have introduced AI to logistics and, and the broader transportation supply chain ecosystem, which is great. And I think, you know, the way I look at it and, and my tagline is, you know, the, this this balancing act or harmonization of man versus machine. So, you know, where, where I see AI serving a really big opportunity and just is through this augmentation and so in some cases automation but, you know, as I often say, like, we never want to have this fallacy that the human, uh, the human, the, the, the ability to, con- you know, to understand the heavy amount of nuance that takes place in this industry um, is, is not going away. And there's machines just haven't got that advanced at this point in time. So the way I like, again, Tim, the way I like to look at it is how do we go about kind of augmenting and automating certain tasks that, again, machines are just frankly better at doing, you know, that involved a lot of, of math and, and numbers, right? Our brains just aren't equipped for that. But never failing to forget that, you know, when you're dealing with the physical world, the complexities of the physical world and things that happen in every day in trucking, you know, that's just something that the machines aren't there yet. So let's just not let's not neglect to really understand that. And, and again, in my experience, a lot of these vendors with AI have assumed that, you know, that they're going to be effectively smarter than these these operators, these dispatchers and fleet managers, driver managers. The reality is sometimes these executives sign up for these organizations, these vendors and what you'll hear is the the end user, the operator says, "Okay, fine. You know, I'll we'll follow along with whatever AI tells us to do." Like as you said, ChatGPT. What do we do? 
But what happens is the drivers, the most valuable resource of all for the entire network is going, hey, wait a minute, why? I'm not doing this route or this doesn't make sense for me. So, you know, again, I think that at that point in time, you see a lot of the user adoption go way down. And I think a lot of times if you ask those folks that are really, you know, logistics practitioners, you know, what's the problem? They're like, it really hasn't produced any material upside for us that we can really warrant, you know, fully putting our trust in the machines at this point in time. So again, all about how do we balance the things that humans are good at, human-centric activities, and then let the machines take care of things that frankly, we just don't really want to do. And there are a lot of keystrokes and computations that, you know, machines are just better at doing. Dane, do you agree with him? Or uh, is there still a human factor that matters? Or us, or us meatbags going extinct? No, 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 no. There's, there's no way. And that's what you'll, that's what you'll see in any application that you actually look at is the human element is more flexible. It's more adaptable and you will never build in all of the possible solutions and scenarios in logistics and in trucking into the parameters that you have to load into one of these AIs. If, if you talk about minute details, like blowing a tire, like Bob doesn't drive through Texas because his ex lives there. Those, those things aren't going to be fields that you build into TMSs, but they're going to be something that a dispatcher knows. They're going to be something that a load planner knows and a driver is experiencing. So you have to give recommendations. You have to, like Chris said, you have to do the heavy lifting for them, but you don't have to, you don't have to automate the process to the point that we lose control. Because that's when you think back to like the old Jetsons cartoons, when the computers went crazy and all the hands started coming in and doing all the things. You're standing upside down and backwards and your, your clothes are inside out. Like that's what automation does when there's no human element. And that's why we like to approach it more from the human centric side of assisted decision making rather than just complete automation and lack of control. Interesting. Well, b- before I let you go, Chris, what should we be excited about? Anything cool coming up at um, coming up out of Optum or anything we should know about? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I'll see you next week in Cleveland. So that's a, that's not a bad way to, to start off some exciting news. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think as Danny said, let's uh, Optum's got some really cool things going. We've been a, it's a proven organization, and the, the, they're really starting to penetrate into the truckload segment, which is obviously the big slice of high. So um, yeah, we're going to be out and about a lot, and again, starting in Cleveland next week. So we'll see you soon, Tim. I'll see you guys there. Where do, if they want to learn more about Optum, where do they go to, Danny? Optum.com. You can follow us on social media, LinkedIn and whatnot. But if you want to see all the products, especially in the LTL space, which the majority of the market is adopted, you can read all about our different optimization products at Optum.com with a Y. Uh, we'll see them over at go to Optum.com. And then in a week, see us, uh, see us over in Cleveland if you're around. Come over and stop by their boots. Say hi to me. Love seeing you guys. Thank you so much for stopping by today. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Tim. Man. Take care, you two. All right. Now it is time for Super Trucker Justin Martin. There we go. There we go. Needed needed the echo side. I like that you did like the the Hulk Hogan thing there too, Justin. <laughs> Don't have me on screen. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Listen for it. What, what's going on, by the way, Poison Ivy? Where that? Where are you sitting in a greenhouse today? Well, since I used my uh, other laptop upstairs to stream the show on TikTok, I've now taken over yet another room, much of the chagrin of my wife to uh, join your guys' uh, show. But no, these are just all my house plants I've been collecting since uh, the pandemic started. Um, this is maybe like a quarter of them. The actual shelf just keeps going. Any uh, carnivorous ones? Nah, um, no, not anymore. All all the ones I had, yeah, they kind of passed away. Oh, I watched one live. I watched one violently eat a spider the other day on uh, yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. It was like twitching and everything in there. It was pretty hardcore. They, <laughs> in the like I said in the tweet, they eat more spiders in the wild than, than flies. But I guess Venus flytrap has a better sound to it. Yeah, I guess so. Shut your fly trap. Yeah, 
Well, hey, we got to start <laughs> off with some bad news here. 95 collapsed. Yeah. They, uh, they dug through the rubble and they made an unfortunate discovery. I don't know why this took like 24 hours to come out. Initial reporting said that there were no injuries in this accident, but it turns out the driver, Nathaniel Moody, show pictures of this gentleman here. Rest in peace, Nathaniel Moody. Thank you. Um, according to ABC six sources and family members identified the driver of the truck that crashed and caught fire underneath an overpass causing the collapse of those several northbound lanes we talked about. They say Nathaniel Moody was behind the wheel of the tanker truck when it crashed around 6 a.m. Sunday in the, um, was it Tackney, Justin? When I did this before, you told me that I was mispronouncing these things. Uh, his family says, his family says he was awesome. He was awesome. That's his cousin, Isaac Moody will fighting back tears. He said, Isaac Moody, he said his cousin was his best friend. Tough stuff. Justin, what is, uh, what's, what's been yeah. going on there? He sounds like any guy I would have been working with uh, when I was at the Postal Service. You know, good local guy driving to, you know, help keep his family running. Um, there is, like, really grainy surveillance footage of the accident itself when it occurred. Yeah, and we, you can tell we have all like, that. Guys, start rolling that video footage, please. Yeah, and so you, you can see the accident occurred in the early morning hours. Um, and that exit itself, it's a real sharp turn. You're, you're coming off at 95. The speed limit is 55. But everyone's doing, you know, 70 plus, and then that exits a 25 mile per hour turn. Um, so yeah, you get you really got to watch your speed. Uh, there's another exit uh, just north of there that's real notorious, Woodhaven uh, Woodhaven Road. They get rollover accidents on that one all the time too. Uh, it's really unfortunate because this this whole area has been under construction for years now. Like they literally just finished that brand new overpass, I believe, last year. Um, so it's, it sucks, you know. As soon as they finish one project and move on to the next, you know, they got to basically hit the reset button. I'm really hoping they get this back open again. And if you know, taking months, not years like they did uh, originally. Can you guys play that? Cra- the, the surveillance footage that Justin was mentioning right there. Let's take a look at what, what he was talking about right here. Are you familiar with this exit? Yeah. Tell me what we're watching. Yeah. So you're coming off of 95. Uh, that's the northbound exit. Oof. And yeah, it just hits the wall because you're, as you're, as you're coming around the Woodhaven exit, fortunately, if there's, if it's a rollover, you just kind of roll off the hill. But with this one, you're, you're coming up to a wall. And that's right, right there, right when he crashed. Now, it said his vehicle slid. Like, so was he just going to, was he asleep? Was he, I guess we don't know. Um, he was alive, though. Here's the, the awful thing from this report here. He died not just from crash trauma. He also had inhalation of smoke and um, thermal trauma, which means this, this guy was alive when he was in that inferno. Yeah, it's absolutely tragic. You know, the hauling tanker, it's its a dangerous gig. You have to be on your game all the time. You, you cannot, uh, you can't relax. Now, they're doing some rebuilding on it. Show this stop motion footage we got here, uh, or this time lapse footage of the rebuilding process that's going on. Now, they're going to, they're saying this takes, it's going to take months, Justin. What does it look like there right now? And is it because they have to do both sides of, of the road here? Like, how much of 95 are we talking about being shut down? Yeah, so they just inspected the sap on side and they determined that it's not salvageable. They're just going to have to remove the cap as well and rebuild both lanes. Um, so right now it's just the process of you know digging out the rubble, uh, getting it nice and cleaned up so that uh, they can move on to the next stage, which will actually be the construction, not just demolition. Now, if you're a truck driver, you have to go through here. They say 160,000 vehicles, not just commercial vehicles, but vehicles in general use this particular portion of the highway. What are your options and how much time are we adding here? Yeah, so if you're coming from the north, you're going to have to take the Woodhaven route exit uh, detour and go around Route 1. That's a bottleneck even in the work and on the best days. Uh, if you're coming from the south, same thing, but just from the opposite direction, go up 95, take 476 and get on Route 1 up that way. 
Um, the worst is going to be, so th- that exit right there is actually State Route 73, which takes you to the suburbs north of Philadelphia. So if you're working in the city and you got to get back up, back home to the suburbs, that's a main artery for a lot of people trying to get home. So they're going to be stuck either having to go all the way around the other end, get on the turnpike and go north, or God help them, take 611, which is even worse. Mm. Well, hopefully they get that stood back up quick and rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, Nathaniel Moody really awful that 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 happened i wish that news didn't i liked it better when the news was that nobody was injured and it's sad it's sad and it seems like so trucking that would for a driver would take like 24 hours to even realize like they're they're gone i remember someone on twitter like the day this happened they're like but no one's asking what happened to the driver and like we specifically looked into it after that and then we were happy to see that oh nothing was found and then like an hour later that this news came out Unfortunate. I, I don't know what took them so long to, re- to release that the driver's remains had been discovered. It was the family who came forward and, and actually identified him. So that they hadn't officially identified him yet. Um, they're going to do it using dental records, I guess, because the fire was just so intense. Um, mm. So that's probably why it took so long to even discover that there was somebody in the truck. Yeah. Well, moving on to the next thing here. A lot of drivers, yeah. the bane of their existence is tracking and check calls. In fact, mm. Someone posted on the Freight Broker Forum. This, it's a scab forum, by the way, on Reddit. They're not one of the ones that shut down. A bunch of scabs. Those, <laughs> can you, typical freight brokers, right? They got no morals. Oh, yeah. no, I'm just kidding, you guys. But, you know, I'm actually, I'm glad they're, they're around. I'm glad that a few subreddits are still up or up because I have, a, I have a Reddit habit. Like, I check that multiple times a day. <laughs> so I, it's annoying when nothing's there. But it says right here, why I don't answer check calls. Many brokers get mad if they can't reach driver over the phone for their da- for their di- phone daily to check up. All incoming phone calls that are not on my contact list are forwarded straight to my answering service. You're welcome to leave a message and a review transcribed copy at my convenience. You among 12 to 18 other cold sales calls and car warranty salesmen that call me daily during business can bite me. I've permanently mounted my iPad and, I've, and I always install the tracking apps and requested. Alternatively, call my dispatcher number for updates. Don't call me. That's just the way it is. Unknown number equals answering service. Doesn't even ring on my end. Say thanks to robocalls and telemarketers. So this guy says, no way. Don't check call him. And we thought this was interesting. So I put a poll out to the What the Truck audience here. And here's what they had to say. They A lot of them actually like the <laughs> tracking, right? Um, there's conditions to these answers, but they said have trucking. Have, well, neither was 53.4, but that might not be yeah, that realistic. <laughs> I put it there either way. Uh, Bold <laughs> was 7.5. Bold was more popular than just a check call itself for some reason. Some people would just rather yeah. get both. Check calls, least popular, 6.8%. But of like the rational ones have tracking, 32.3% said yes, and most of them seem to say, and if you got it on me, don't bother calling me. What's your opinion on this? Yeah, everybody hates driving. You know, a lot of these guys are running on their own. So, you know, the whole reason they're not with a company is so that they're not tracked all the time or rather, you know, bothered. And, you know, having their phone ring, ringing off the hook. A lot of guys, if, if they're running safe, you know, you're not supposed to be on the phone while you're driving anyway. So that's why they use these tracking apps. Then there's also, you know, the guys are even further. that are like, don't track me at all. I'll get there when I get there. Or if I'm going to call you, I'll pull over and pick up a payphone. You know, they're still living like they're in 1985, I guess. Which would you prefer? I think I, I would prefer like the modern way. Just just track me. Yeah, just track. Um, leave me alone. As long as I'm doing the yeah. job and I'm providing you the customer service that I say I'm going to, fine. It's If you're getting phone calls all the time, it's either you're doing something wrong or they're doing something wrong. Something needs to be figured out in, in the middle. Yeah, and when that phone rings, you got to understand, like, to people under, like, 40, it gives them anxiety. 
<laughs> well, also, like, why do you want to keep calling your driver yeah, no. all the time? You know, it's, it's not safe. Just like if I'm call. in the middle of traffic, yeah, if I'm in the middle of traffic or construction or rain or whatever, the last thing I want to be doing is, you know, picking up the phone and, and saying, yes, I'll get there when I get there. Keith says, broker here used to drive. Call the broker if something is going left. Besides that, check calls are not a necessary evil. Track the truck or call the dispatcher. Leave the driver alone. Autonomous truckers, he said, uh, one driver to one, wait, what? One driver to all of y'all. I'd rather one or two calls max per day than any tracking. Okay, Gord here, he must be one. He must have been in like yeah. that really small percentage. He said, uh, I don't like that. And that's how it used to be done before satellites existed. He's, is he that old? Gord, you're not that uh, he's old. Been, he's, 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 he's the real super trucker. He's been, he's been <laughs> at this for a while. <laughs> he's usually in areas that it's probably hard to just like have a cell signal anyway. Yeah. Bill Pack yeah. says, I don't even like it when I see my employer calling my phones and I hang up on them. So I really sympathize with drivers <laughs> who probably get like 10 times the amount of calls that I do. Mr. Yeah. Pallison said, I like to send a fax to a carrier pigeon service to get in touch with my Uber driver when I need to ask him to draw me a map of their current GPS location that I can track. I think the tongue might be in the cheek for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, is this, a, is this a real thing? Squirt McGirt, he said that there's a new headlight meme out there that's happening in truck stops. I'm sorry, but the meme of truckers duct taping over the headlights of dumbasses who park and go to sleep with their high beams on is so effing funny to me. Have you encountered this? Is this a prank that you've pulled before? I have not. Uh, I'm, I'm going to manifest this into existence. I want this to be a thing. Um, so, yeah, any drivers watching this right now, you, everyone knows the frustration. You pull into a truck stop at the end of the night and you're trying to back into a spot and the idiot across from you has their high beams on. Um, yeah, get out of your truck, pull out your roll of electrical tape or duct tape, whatever you got, and uh, give them a black eye. <laughs> Why are they parking with lights on? They forget. You know, you, you've been zoned out for the last 500, 600 miles and you park for the day and you just keep the truck running and, oops, I forgot to turn my headlights off. Is this really a meme though? Like we we were looking online to see if we could see like examples and pictures of this. Or I couldn't it find like it. A... I, I I DM yeah I DM Squirt. He told me that he he heard about it on a YouTube channel. I've been like digging through that channel. He he's busy at work right now, so hopefully when he's done later today, he'll he'll give me the actual video he found it from. But yeah, I want to I want to make this happen. This is gonna be great. By the way, uh, so a lot of people have been posting this, and I've been tagged like multiple times in Schneider ar advertising in American Truck Simulator. If if it's like some. Uh, like crazy new age thing to do and i keep replying back i'm like isn't that a pretty obvious place to advertise same like reason yeah. call of duty advertises use it, the military uses call of duty to look for for soldiers you can use american truck simulator because most people are raised on video games in fact if you're like 45 you were raised with a nintendo a lot of those gamers right even drivers that are like in their 40s were raised on video games and they never stopped playing so and young people, obviously. Like, what are you going to advertise in? Like a magazine? What young person goes and buys a truck magazine? Yeah, the, the only thing... Okay, so I started with Schneider back when they still had new driver training. They don't anymore. So they only hire experienced drivers. No. So you can't really take, you know, your experience from driving American Trucking Simulator into, you know, getting a CDL. Well, maybe you can. Um, maybe you should. So first person who figures it out is going to be very rich. Interesting. Hey, what if you were stuck in a lift like this one? What is sitting next to her? I don't know. A blow-up doll, maybe to, uh, like for carpooling. Um, carpoolings, yeah. So I guess what happens here is, I what is this recent? Like, why are they fighting over a COVID policy? Apparently, she has she has like her sunroof and all of her windows down because of some COVID policy she's referencing, and this guy doesn't like it. 
and thinks she's driving too fast, so he told her to slow down, and she is, this is, she's just not having a day here, is she? No. It sucks, because I'm sure there's, like, drivers who get, like, insane passengers, too, but, you know, you could be a perfectly normal person, you have no idea who that person driving the car is going to be. It just, it sucks that both of them had to meet like this. And, the, and now he's abandoned on the side of the highway. It's, are these two dating or something? Like, is there something we don't know? Are don't these a married couple? Like, literally leaving them on the side of the road? He, he uh, should have canceled that ride right when she pulled up, because there's a lot of red flags there. I mean, windows down, mask yeah. on. Bozo um, the clown sitting at the It Doll, Pennywise yeah. sitting next to her. I don't know. Yeah, too, <laughs> too many, too many red flags for me. Thanks. I'll, I'll take the next car. That just happened well, to you me. know, maybe she's uh, she's still living like she's in the 80s, right? Here we got a clip of, uh, well, what some people might call the good old days, although was it? Let's take a look at our uh, ancestors. Well, any attempt to restrict drinking and driving here is viewed by some as downright undemocratic. It's kind of getting common this when a fella can't put in a hard day's work, put in 11, 12 hours a day, and then get in your truck and at least drink one or two beers. They're making it laws where you can't drink when you want to. You, can't, you have to wear a seatbelt when you're Child driving. <laughs> Pretty soon we're going to be calling this way. country. Well, any attempt to restrict <laughs> drinking and driving here that. is viewed by some down. as down. You that, that. She says, uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, we always think we're, whenever you take a freedom away, you think we're becoming a communist country. Although it's really not like a good look to sit there like with your baby next to you, decreeing the fact that you have to like wear a seatbelt and not drink while driving. Yeah. And it's a testament to like how well, so this all was pushed by Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And I, I think it was a good mission at the time. Um, but you can, you can tell just how hard of a cultural shift it's been since uh, this stuff was implemented. Like people our age and younger, the idea of like, you know, having a beer or two behind the wheel while you're driving is like, it's insane. I'm sure pretty many people do it, but it's not, it's not normalized is, is my point. It was normalized back then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and everything back then was brown too. Like when you see these videos and it has that, sort of, like it really did. Like everything <laughs> yeah, was sort yeah. of that, every room was that color. I think that's why like when they made cartoons and stuff and like fashion, they try to go like those neon colors because like everything yeah. else in your environment back in the eighties. And if it wasn't brown, it was like nicotine stained brown. Cause you could smoke everywhere. Like in the grocery <laughs> store, like a little kid, people are burning with cigarettes <laughs> as you walk through like Bradley's or Toys R Us. Wild. Imagine going shopping now in the grocery store and there's like cigarette smoke stains everywhere. Ugh. Yeah. Well, uh, it no. depends. You go in the right area. You go into like the pickle barrel here in Chattanooga. You can you can relive the eighties. They still have smoke. <laughs> there was one one bar I used to go to in South Philly called uh, Ray's Happy Birthday Bar, and they were like one of the last bars to be grandfathered in that still had smoking, and they don't anymore. I don't think there's like any places left that do. Hey, let's skip the skillet. Who cares about a four dollar skillet? Let's look at this TikTok recipe because we don't have much time left, and it kind of doubles as a rate to strap work too. So roll this tape right here. Let's see what this guy's concocting. Eggs in a I was bucket. unsure about the paint can, but as soon as the milk and the cream was poured in, I was like, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, so apparently this guy's making some ice cream in the, uh, maybe like the, the least efficient way you could possibly do it. I, I think it's great. Otherwise, you're hand cranking that thing all day. Oh, really? Well, you know, the thing I don't like about make, sometimes making your own stuff is you go to make some ice cream, you're like, this will be great, and then you get home and it costs you like $37 to make yeah. your, your ice cream. <laughs> you have to buy all this damn stuff when you could have just got some, like, Ben & Jerry's or something. Exactly. And um, I don't know, but at least for me, anytime I've made homemade ice cream, it, like, melts way faster than, like, store-bought ice cream. Well, because you're not putting, like, the crap in there. You know, like yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the combiners and the uh, <laughs> the emulsifiers and all that stuff. So how long does he, yeah. do you think he has to drive though. for? 
Oh, probably a good 15, 20 minutes minimum. So just drive to the grocery store and back, but like don't go yeah. in the grocery store and buy anything. I want to know if he like went into town, like if uh, people reacted to this. Oh, like what is? Uh, yeah, you think he got pulled over? Is that illegal to strap a giant? It looks good. It looks okay. good though when he opens it up here. I'd eat that. Yeah, I mean it doesn't look bad. I'd hit it. Well, anyways. Ice cream. Well, you guys want to see this? We'll be at Future oh of God. Supply Chain in a week. Less than a week. 21st, yeah. 22nd. Go to live.freightways.com to get tickets. Find me on Twitter at Timmy the Dooner. Find him at Super Trucker. Find us at Freightways with the Trucks. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Take care and don't be a stranger.